You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today on Preaching Source, we are happy to welcome Dr. Adam Dooley, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Sunnyville, Texas. He's pastor churches in Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama. Dr. Dooley earned his Master of Divinity and Ph.D. in Preaching and Evangelism from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he has also taught preaching and pastoral ministry at Temple, Tennessee Temple University and Boyce College and Southern Seminary. Welcome to Preaching Source today, Dr. Dooley. Great to be with you. Well, you're on campus at Southwestern Seminary for our Text-Driven Preaching Conference. Where did you first hear the term text-driven preaching? You know, that's hard to say uh, because I've studied preaching for so many years. Sometimes these ideas and concepts run together, but uh, probably at Southern Seminary, uh, when I was a student there, I did uh, my MDiv uh, with an emphasis in preaching and then, of course, a PhD in expository preaching. And uh, that was the hermeneutic that we followed, that every sermon needed to be text-driven, uh, allowing the authorial intent to shine through uh, the delivery of the message. Uh, so I'm certain during those seminary years, if if I had not been able to articulate it before, I came to that understanding then. And at what point in your ministry, pastoral ministry, did you begin to practice expository preaching? You know, I'm blessed that I had a pastor who was committed to biblical exposition. And so at the tender age of 17, when I was called to the ministry, I went to him, and uh, at that time, all I understood about a call to ministry was that it was a call to preach. And so he sat me down and showed me uh, how to choose a passage and how to walk verse by verse through that passage. And it was very simple, yet uh, the profundity of it is I still follow the same basic trajectory today. He said to me, Adam, you must explain every verse try to illustrate what it means, and then try to apply every verse in a passage of Scripture. And I follow that same basic structure even now. So really right out of the gate, uh, expository preaching was all that I knew. I heard it as a teenager in my church, and I really wanted to, to practice that as I began to preach. Talk to us about the benefits of expository preaching for the church. Yeah, this is something that uh, I, I teach students when, when I have an opportunity in classes about expository preaching. Uh, I love to talk about because I think there's a sense that you have to be more creative than the Bible, and I just don't believe that's the case. Uh, I love on a typical Sunday morning for someone to come to me and say, Pastor, how did you know I needed to hear that word today. And it happens almost every week. Uh, people come to me and they ask if I've been reading their mail or if I've talked to their wife. And uh, usually what it is, it's just the Spirit of God has prepared the message because I'm willing to walk through the text and let the Lord speak. So I think the benefits are, are uh, multi uh, faceted. I think it teaches people how to read the Bible. It teaches people that you don't pull verses out of context and uh, try to apply them apart from the context or authorial intent. Uh, it teaches people that uh, the Bible really is sufficient to meet their needs. It addresses problems that I would never address. 
I think another benefit is it keeps me honest. Uh, even the most committed preacher has subjects he's more comfortable with than others and subjects that, frankly, he would avoid if he could. But there's nothing like walking through a book of the Bible that forces you to say all that God says in the same way that God says it. Hmm. Later today, you'll lead a breakout session on exegeting emotive structures. Can you give us an overview of your breakout session? Yeah, I'm really excited about this because for the past six months, I've been working on a book called Passion in the Pulpit. Uh, Dr. Jerry Vines and I partnered on the project, and that is set to come out this June. And the basic premise of the book is every text has an emotive design. Uh, in the field of rhetoric, we would call it pathos. And our contention is when we preach, we ought to preach with the emotive intention of the text rather than whatever our natural disposition might be. And sometimes that calls for altering the disposition that we're most comfortable with. Uh, people talk about uh, Phillips Brooks' famous definition of uh, preaching being truth through personality. Uh, first of all, I think we don't mean by that what Brooks meant. That's a, that's a different discussion. But uh, what's interesting to me is I believe in truth through personality, but it's the personality of the text that ought to determine how that we preach. So what I'm going to do in the session is I'm going to argue that every text has an emotive design that we ought to exegete. And I'm going to offer five exegetical steps, five hermeneutical keys to discerning what the pathos of the text is. Because I believe if we say what the Bible says, but not in the same way it says it, we run the, the risk of, of losing the nuances of meaning that are so important in biblical interpretation and definitely important when it comes to preaching the Bible. So what I'm going to do today is walk through those five hermeneutical steps. That's great. You know, I remember Dr. Danny Aiken from Southeastern Seminary. He says, what you say is uh, more important than how you say it, but how you say it has never been more important. But making sure that there's alignment to what you're saying and how you're saying with it with the biblical text. So I appreciate your emphasis on that. Preachers are taught to diagram the structure of a biblical passage. But do you think it's appropriate for preachers to diagram and chart the text's emotive design as well? I, I truly do believe that because uh, if I am correct, the Bible, not only does it have an emotive design, let me say it even stronger, it has an inspired emotion. So just as there is logical content in the Scripture, there's emotional coloring as well. And I believe that the Holy Spirit put that there just like He does meaning. In fact, our tone shades our meaning. Uh, we, we see that in everyday conversation. And so if, if we leave that alone, if, if we don't exegete tones, and if we don't chart, as you say, the different emotions of the text, then we may very well be saying what the text says, but with a different emphasis. And, and therefore, we prioritize things that the Bible does not prioritize. So yes, just as you would diagram a passage of Scripture to, to mine its logical content, and just as you would yield your life 
to the logical content of the Bible. I think it is uh, important to also diagram those emotional structures. What is the dominant pathos of a text? Uh, Are there competing or corresponding tones that reinforce or or contrast uh, that dominant pathos for us? And then I think we have to ask the question, uh, how do I say this in the pulpit just like the Apostle Paul would or just like Jesus would or just like the biblical author would? That's when preaching is most persuasive. We would never think of saying something different than the Bible says, but we're often guilty of saying things in a different way than the Bible says them. So I think it takes both to truly be text-driven in the pulpit. Oh, that's good. How do preachers establish an emotional connection with their audience? Yeah, this is tough because, uh, again, if my argument holds true, uh, the first step is you've got to establish an emotional connection with the text. So in other words, uh, I want the text to resonate with me. I believe that um, if I had to choose between my natural disposition and the disposition of the text, I should always choose the text. But that's never ideal. I do think there are situations where that's necessary. If I'm preaching, for example, on the love of God, and someone catches me right before the sermon and is harsh or unkind, I might have to really hold back uh, anger or frustration that I might be feeling in order to accurately communicate that particular biblical uh, doctrine that day. And it's right for me to do that. My current state should never prevent me from accurately reflecting what the Bible says or how it says it. Uh, But the better pattern is that I locate the pathos of a text, I allow it to resonate in my heart. In other words, my disposition begins to reflect uh, or emulate the disposition of the text. And then I think an added step to sermon preparation that we all need to consider is, how can I now take that to the pulpit? How can I create this tone while I'm preaching? How can I emulate this mood for my audience? And how can I elicit the same pathos from them? And I think we ought to be very creative in how we do that, but we simply cannot ignore this fundamental step of preparation. We've got to ask how to do that. And I fear that most of us don't ask that question. You know, we hear people talk about the secrets to preaching. What is one secret that will help a preacher improve? Well, there there are lots of, of steps to improve your preaching, but I would say the most practical that's been helpful to me over the years is is to listen to your preaching. And boy, that's hard. I don't enjoy hearing myself. It, uh, it, it's very uncomfortable to go back and listen to things that I thought came out one way, and when I hear it or see it, it actually came out entirely different. But that's helpful. Uh, you are your own worst critic, and so it's helpful for, for you to pick out one or two things that you want to work on in your preaching and to watch and listen to yourself to make sure you're doing those. And as you master various disciplines, uh, then you can move on and, and try to master other things. But you got to watch yourself to do that. As painful as it is, I think that's, that would improve much of our preaching. 
Well, I think this is another benefit to expository preaching. If we're text-driven, the good news is the Bible is not predictable. (laughs) And the Bible uh, has lots of surprises. There are lots of twists and turns. And if you're walking through the Scripture and it's determining your message, if it determines your, your pathos, then every week you're going to be doing something different. And even when it's thematic, uh, the momentum builds, uh, the the tone builds, and so uh, I, I think it stays fresh even then. So you would say that pathos helps the expositor preach with variety. Am I hearing you correctly? I think biblical pathos does, and and again I say it that way because we all have a natural personality or disposition, and if I depend on that to package my sermons, then they're all going to sound basically the same. However, if I'm dealing with uh, Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul seems to have a righteous indignation over the downward spiral of sin, as man professes to be wise and becomes a fool, if I'm emulating that in the pulpit, there's a seriousness. There's even a, a holy anger as we think about those tendencies in our lives. That's very different than if you're preaching through the book of Philippians, where Paul is emphasizing contentment in the Lord and joy in the Lord, and I ought to preach in order to emulate that. And so it just forces me out of my comfort zone, whereas my natural personality might allow me to preach these very different texts in much the same way. But if you discern biblical pathos and commit to emulate it so that you can elicit it from your audience, uh, that'll add the variety that people are hungry for. Wow, that's, that's good. Talk to us about your sermon preparation process. How do you plan your sermons? Well, I, I typically plan my sermons uh, in the context of a series. This is another benefit of expository preaching. If I am walking through a book of Scripture, I will outline the whole book. Uh, I then uh, assign what I think is the key topic about each passage of Scripture. And then for months ahead, I have the opportunity to look for and acquire content that would go along with that. I don't prepare those messages ahead of time. I'm, I'm always... Uh, you know, just just dealing with the sermon that's coming the following Sunday, because I think that's important for staying fresh, uh, you know, to really be in the text and gripped by the text the week before I stand in the pulpit is so important for me. But uh, I start with the text. I don't consult commentaries until later in the process, because I want the text to, I want the, the design and structure of the text to, to come out. Uh, I want the pathos to become clear, and so I'm looking for words that reoccur. I'm looking for graphic language. Uh, And then, uh, you know, once I have a working outline, a descriptive outline, not a a homiletical outline, but a a descriptive outline, at that point I may go to the commentaries to make sure that I'm understanding the main thrust of the passage. Uh, And then it all kind of starts to take shape in my mind, and I'm able to start drawing from those wells of preparation Uh, because I've been accumulating that material for weeks. Wow. Dr. Dooley, we want to thank you for being with us today on Preaching Source. Again, as Dr. Dooley mentioned, that uh, his book's coming out, the book he's co-authored with Dr. Vine's Passion in the Pulpit. Make sure that you pick up your copy. You will not be disappointed. Dr. Dooley, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me.